1: Welcome to the Foundation Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to psychohistory. I'm David.
2: I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Apple TV Plus original series, Foundation.
1: In this podcast, we're going to do a scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 2, Episode 4, entitled, Where the Stars Are Scattered Thinly.
2: Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for August.
1: For early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts and exclusive content, visit us at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. If you want to give us a leg up, you know, if you're enjoying our content and having a good time with us, consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help people find the podcast even on Terminus.
2: Even Suwena, maybe. Who even
1: Suwena, right. A type zero civilization. <laughs>
2: We love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air, so send us feedback for the next episode.
1: You can send emails to empire at thelorehounds.com. I almost want to say it with uh, like Demerizel says it, empire. Empire. Or head over to our website and use the voicemail feature or contact form. You can also post a message on our discord server and we can include that as well. Links in the show notes below. We've got a cool discord setup. There's folks chattering about the show uh, all the time. So join us. It's a fun community.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm liking all the discourse on Discord. Discourse
1: Uh, (laughs) on Discord? Yes.
2: Yeah. uh, Maryland has been just dropping hot takes every single day, I feel like. I see another good Maryland take. So Uh, Rocky Zim's active on there. We got a bunch of people talking about uh, Foundation. I know we've got some feedback from the Discord today, so we will get to that later.
1: And, you know, the Discord... Uh, we've got Ahsoka coming up, and we've got Wheel of Time coming up, and I even saw the Wheel of Time channel was uh, popping today. It's so. it's
2: popping off, as the kids say. As the kids I had to create say. a book spoiler section, uh, okay, read, because <laughs> nice. it just got it just got too crazy,
1: too crazy. Yeah, we've got a we've got so we've got a lot. We're going to be covering all of those shows in full coverage. Foundation's going to overlap Ahsoka, which is going to overlap Wheel of Time. We're going to be busy. Uh, so join yeah. us on our Discord, or you know, if you like what we're doing. Um, maybe throw us some bucks on the Patreon. Yeah. And if so, that if none of that works for you, just listen. All right. And we're happy. All right.
2: No more disclaimers. Enough. Sign up for the Patreon if you want. Let's Don't. go. Um, anyway, what did you think of this episode, David?
1: Really funny episode. I was like constantly chuckling throughout it. There were just some really funny little zingers, Big concept, but uh, I, I was just kind of goofy in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're laying a lot of track still. You know, we're uh, into episode four. Mm-hmm. I think Goyer is on record as saying he's gunning for eight seasons overall. Which is so insane. He, it, which is insane. <laughs> uh, and if he gets it and there's no, you know, there's nothing... That says at this stage that he wouldn't, but he he doesn't, right? So we've got a long way to go yet. But in episode four here, we're still getting a lot of setup, but it doesn't yeah. feel like setup. But I could feel the tracks that, are, that they're laying out, and uh, I think it's going to get pretty interesting. Um, there is... Some yeah, with what we've got, Becky right? The the bishop's claw that is being that's been foreshadowed in almost every episode uh, okay. in this. There's something I'll talk about later. The Bhagavad Gita, which is a book that Glewin picks up when he's when they're at the partition's house. Okay, that yep. is that is doing some heavy setup there. Hober and Constant, Ooh, Lots of yeah. lots of the, the lots of I, vibes. I think a little
2: too explicit to be honest. A with little
1: you. too yeah, it was a little
2: too on the nose. <laughs>
1: Uh, The Prime Radiant, uh, a new spy for uh, Queen Sarah. So, you know, there's a lot cooking. They've got a lot of pans on the stove here. The action scenes are still not quite hitting it for me. They're getting a little bit better um, but they're still slightly off. But you know what? That's so minor compared okay. to the main story okay. stuff that I'm I, I'm going to take
2: issue with that. I actually really liked the action in this episode. Okay. I thought it was the strongest of the season by far. I,
1: I agree. I think it's, it has got, like I said, it's getting better, and I think this is probably the, the best. But yet, I'm still quite not there. Mm-hmm. And this stuff with Dawn and Dusk, with Queen Seraph and uh, the Enjoy Nauru, amazing, fabulous, yep. yeah. great acting, great. Game of Thrones esque plotting of, you know, maneuvers and counter maneuvers and who's really doing what and where. So we've got political maneuvering, we've got romance, we've got action, we've got all kinds of cool lore things happening. Harry was really funny in the Prime Radiant, all of that stuff. yeah. Yeah. So really, I'm really happy with the way that the season's going so far and i I hope it's only going to get better because uh we're only at episode four and we got six more to go so yeah definitely what about you
2: you know i gotta say i got to the end of the episode and i said to myself i didn't see gail and other harry and salver the entire episode and I also did not think about them or miss them once. i got to say, this really highlighted to me that that is the weakest part of this show.
1: Interesting. Okay. At
2: this point. Okay. And I really liked following Gale in season one. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what it is this season where I just kind of don't care about what they're doing.
1: Mm. I don't know. The stakes I don't know what it is. aren't. They haven't given them anything yet to.
2: Well, they got them there in charge of solving the second crisis. Yes, right and like, yeah, I, I weird
1: think. stuff has happened. Right, they traveled in time. They get ga- yeah. they got Harry a body. Um, right, so big stuff, but like it's disconnected from everything yeah. else, where everything else feels like really settled in place. Yeah, right. So, anyway, right.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I, I really, I think that the acting happening, like the 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 chemistry between all of the other sets of characters is miles above the chemistry between Gale and Salver. I think that's probably what it is. Like the chemistry between Gale and uh, and and why? Why can't I think of the main guy (laughs) in the show? Harry Selden, Harry, the chemistry between Gale and Harry Selden. Now that my brain decided to work is pretty good. Yes, it's good. Uh, I I really like Harry yelling at Gale, but I don't know. There's, There's something about Harry with. Hober, Harry with Constant, Harry, you know, patting Polly on the head like a little boy. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's great. It's great. Yeah. And I, I think that it's just another level above what we've been seeing aboard the beggar.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It's a shame, too, because I think both actors are trying to do, you know, they're, they're doing the best they can. And and something's quite right. not quite uh, on target. But at the same time, it's not yeah. off the target either. Like we're hitting the board. It's happening, yeah. We're yeah. but we're just not, yeah. We're not getting yeah. into that center bullseye zone if we want to Something's use the dart metaphor. Yeah,
2: I did not appreciate. I will say there were there were parts where I was taken out again by like the modern colloquialism. Oh, I took a yes. dump over there. No, no, that wasn't it. That was not the line.
1: <laughs> yeah, it did. It was like, whoa, that was really weird. Uh, out of left I, field. Yeah, uh, it was very visceral is not the right word very very real and just sort of normal yeah. and like you know it was yeah, kind of vulgar a, right yeah it was vulgar it's definitely something you would hear somebody say uh, if you're friends out of the woods whatever oh yeah i took it you know but right. in this show which is a very has been i wouldn't say highbrow but it is certainly elevated and yeah. that yeah. was a very not elevated line
2: I kind of almost understand what George Lucas meant now when he said he wanted it to be more like an opera mm. in Star Wars when he mm-hmm. did the prequel trilogy than have, you know, he, he wanted that dialogue to be very highbrow like that, you know, like very, right. very not sort of mundane.
1: Yeah. yeah, I got to. Hey, let, what's for dinner? Now, like, now I he executed my it. Yeah, he mm. executed
2: it poorly. But right. I <laughs> get what he meant now. I think Foundation proved to me what George Lucas had in his head.
1: Right, because we are going, we were very highbrow, and then suddenly, yeah, there's this vulgar sort of everyday, uh, yeah, line thrown out there in a very crass way. So, right.
2: Speaking of George Lucas, we just covered Attack of the Clones, and it was a fun conversation. So, I was waiting for
1: you to do it uh, because if you weren't, then I was going to say it's Attack of the Clones. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we had we had fun with that one. I
2: just published that today, the day we're recording.
1: Yeah. So. Okay,
2: that's basically my thoughts on the episode. I agree with you. It was very funny. It was I I don't know if it was my favorite episode of the season so far, but it was at least a contender between this and I think the pilot. I think it was uh, a contender. Okay, cool. Pilot. You know what I mean? Episode one of season two. Episode one. Anyway, I think it's time. We've got to go to your open questions.
1: Yeah. So quick review, Uh, we're keeping a little list of open issues and questions that we have. And if you want to add anything to this list, anything that I missed, post it on the Discord or send us an email, Empire, at the Lorehounds. Um, And some of these are bigger mysteries. Some of these are smaller curiosities. So um, we've talked about Gale's vision, Mm -hmm. uh, about Hober Mallow, obviously that was answered, Una's world. So anything they're setting up, Early on, they seem to be paying off very quickly. But I think some of these other ones are going to be a longer term. Yeah. One of them was, what was Harry Seldon's father doing when we saw in the flashback? He was manipulating some weird sand shapes. It seemed a little out of character. He was referenced
2: this episode.
1: He was. Yes. The College mm-hmm. of uh, Hard Knocks, as it were. Yeah. Um, we're curious about how or who were, were was able to alter Day's personal aura when he was attacked. Well, and we we got clues now, at least. Yes, we uh, are curious to learn more about the blind angels and psycho encryption. Um, mm-hmm. What about the prime radiance consciousness? We certainly have a clue to what's going on with the prime right. radiant now. Uh, I don't think we're really going to get into the rings of Trantor. I think they're going to yeah. just a visual, pretty yeah. thing. Uh, I think,
2: and it was uh, a. A dig for Dominion to bring yes. <laughs> in. Yes. Oh, you, you really like your big rings. It's, That's right. Yeah. Uh,
1: where or what is Ignis? Uh, I think that is coming. You know, I don't think these kinds of things—they're holding back in a mystery box format. I think they're they're rolling them forward. But a big, but a couple of big mystery box things is. What, who, where, how, ca- uh, Calais, you know, is she alive? Is she a hologram? Is she a clone? What? What's going on? And then how has Harry been made real? I think we've got some uh, uh, some ideas about what's forming there, but that's a big mystery. And um, how does the vault know what it knows? Uh, that's really a, a big right. thing. Does it have a big Wi-Fi connection and it's sucking down information <laughs> from the cosmos?
2: Well, I, or- I guess now we have the Prime Radio Network. Right, yeah, because it's right. in multiple places. I'm sure, I'm sure it yeah. could bring in some knowledge from the outside world from aboard
1: the beggar. And I think for that for this sh- kind of show, we want to see, we want to understand the function. How is that actually happening? And you know yeah. how you yeah. know that's. I think that's part of the fun of, of it. So, yeah. Anything else I missed on on questions?
2: I don't think so. I think we've. Okay. Uh, I guess what I would add this episode, but I think you do that at the end more. Is where's Hober Mallow going?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, that's, let me jump to the end there and I'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll put that uh, right away. Okay, uh, that's it for open questions. Again, uh, drop us a note if you've got anything that is hanging out in the back of your mind and, and you want to put a pin in it so we can track it. So David,
2: you've got some structural notes that we like to read every episode.
1: Yeah, real quick to uh, a quick callback really fast before we get into our sort of you know uh, setting context and expectations for these podcasts. Um, Marilyn wrote in, you know how we've been sort of analyzing the opening credit sequence? Yeah, yeah. And there was one that stymied me a little bit. It's a, a face with a, the skin sort of peeled away and you can kind of see the skull. Yeah. Um, uh, Marilyn pointed out that's probably uh, Demerzel. Uh, yeah. When yeah. she ripped her skin off of her face at that time. So that totally makes that sense. That makes sense, yeah. And for Demerzel to have a whole image sequence part of the opening, that means that Demerzel is very important for our overall storyline. Right. right. She's got, you know, Harry's in there, possibly Queen Lady Sareth or Queen Sarith is is the woman in the robes. That's a potential... Mm-hmm um you know we've obviously got empire so anything that's in there big is obviously they're they're calling out to that's you know these are major characters or major uh, structural elements of the show so good good call marilyn thank you so much yeah Um, structural notes, I don't know what else to call them, but this is just kind of, we want to make sure that folks understand, especially if you're coming in new to listening to the podcast. I read the books many, 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 many years ago, never quite ever finished them. I got about two thirds of the way through the core series, never read any of the extended works or any of the robotic stuff. John, you finished the first book.
2: Yeah. And I have not even started book two because I just don't want to.
1: Okay. (laughs) It was
2: fine. It was fine. I like the show better so far. Okay. And I kind of want to preserve myself for what else I have not spoiled. Right. And again, I I don't actually think I have basically anything spoiled because they use the same names, but not Mm -hmm. nearly in the same way.
1: And, you know, one of the ways that we're contextualizing the show, and we've, we've talked about this in the past, Um, Not only do we recognize that showrunners and creators for film and TV, when they're doing adaptation, they need to change things in the medium so that storylines work and uh, things are cleaned up. I mean, Tom Bombadil, you know, like I think a lot of people would have walked out of Lord of the Rings with with Peter Jackson saying, what what is this Tom Bombadil And yet
2: many were mad that he wasn't And yet
1: many were mad. That's true. And that goes into this question of adaptation. Versus inspiration, are you adapting something? So I would say like the Expanse books are very good adaptations, the show run, the writers were showrunners, but even yeah. then they had to, to, to mess with stuff. Yeah. Whereas I think this show is a lot on the inspiration side of the slider, right? They're, he's taking a right. lot of the pieces and recombining them in ways that that makes sense. So that's the right. way we're approaching this is, is inspiration, not adaptation.
2: I think that's right. And I I don't think that the books would work as an as a straight adaptation, no. right? Because they are very much more disconnected between the generations. They don't have these through lines exactly. that you can follow and have a character to follow through like Gail. So let's uh, let's thank the showrunners. Let's thank David Goyer for doing <laughs> a good for job with that stuff.
1: And, yeah. And the and Empire stuff, which is a uh, straight up invention. Has yeah. been some of the best stuff that he's he's written yeah. and directed for this. So
2: loving it, loving it.
1: So we have screeners. Apple has been kind enough to provide us with screeners, but we're not running ahead, except we're going to run ahead for episode five because I'm on vacation with my family next week and it'd be really awkward for me to podcast. So we're going to, but we haven't watched it yet. Uh, So we're, we're podcasting in the blind here, but we're going to then record five really quick so that that'll be ready for the next week. And then I think we'll have to do that one more time. I think we have to do that for seven. Um, we'll, we'll
2: preserve our spoiler-free minds, but yes. we may be late on feedback. That's really the effect of this. Exactly,
1: exactly. I am listening to the official podcast and a couple of other podcasts, but usually after we've recorded. So these are fresh takes from us.
2: Fresh takes. Well, from it's got to be rounds. after we record, right? Because it doesn't yeah. come out till after we
1: record. Exactly. It comes out right. I think it comes out just I think it comes out like an hour before, or just just before the before the, the show, begins. right? Yeah. yeah but we're recording
2: so. uh, in advance now. We're, exactly. We're ahead so of time now. We that's are. Right. We are just like Gail and Harry Seldon, <laughs> just traveling through. I'm going to project.
1: I, I, except I don't want to starve myself of oxygen. Nor do I yeah, want you that, to breathe underwater. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. We can skip those things. Okay, cool. With those uh, structural issues, contextual issues out of the way. Let's, uh, should we get into the breakdown? Let's do it. Okay, cool. We open it with a shot of Polly and Constance asleep at the controls, hurtling through hyperspace. And we get a voiceover. We get a voiceover back from Gail. Wow. As the whisper ship the spirit rising exits from hyperspace. Gail says, if your parents never met, you wouldn't exist. In fact, if any of your great, 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 great grandparents haven't met, you wouldn't exist. Everyone in the universe is a result of a unique set of parents, and psycho history doesn't care about them at all.
2: <laughs> so there you go. I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. You know, do- doesn't care about them at all. You are just yeah. yourself.
1: Your data, your point. Your, are you even a statistically significant point? You know, you're, yeah. you're a makeup of, yeah. of a massive stuff. But I think this voiceover really is doing some work in terms of the Hober and constant relationship and other potential relationships. Uh, We could be setting up for Queen Seraph and, and empire here. Okay. Right. I'm
2: I'm curious if she's actually interested in empire really, or if she's using this as a way in to get their secrets, but I guess we'll discuss that when we get to that scene.
1: And even if that is true, are they still going to procreate and and have children? And are we breaking the genetic dynasty here? So, you know that that could be set. What I'm thinking of is, if we get to season four or five, we can't necessarily we're, we're not necessarily going to have Lee Pace or uh, Lou yeah. Bell or yeah. you know Leah Harvey or any of the other actors. Uh, that's a long run to go, Jared Harris. You know, um, yeah,
2: especially somebody like Jared Harris and, yeah. and and Lee Pace too. I think they're yeah. both about on that level where it's hard to get them for a long period.
1: And we're getting de aging visually technology, but still, you know, there's still voiceover work right. and and body work to be done. So yeah, so I think there's some some setup going on here with that. Um, and yeah, by by the end of this episode, we're I'm definitely feeling the vibes that Hober and brother constant are going to be swirling their genetic material in a test tube before long.
2: Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so uh brother constant sure would like it.
1: Yes, she certainly would. <laughs> the again, the, and the ship porn in this is beautiful, right? That, yeah, you know, yeah. image of them sitting in the cockpit asleep there.
2: So good stuff.
1: All right. Clearly a morning person, constant wakes Polly as they begin their descent to terminus as constant tends to Hober. Polly helps himself to a little bump, a little wake-me-up. Uh, Constant and Hober dance around the nature of pessimism versus optimism, and Hober tries to guess Constant's name, and Homer is brought before the director.
2: Yeah, so Polly is a little jealous, I think, of their uh-huh. relationship. Not, you think so? Not, not that he wants to be romantic with Constant, but more like I think he sees Constant as like his protege, uh-huh. And he sees Hober as this little shit who fell out of the order and is a scam artist. <laughs> and they had to save from Titan's prick.
0: Mm-hmm. And they, and he, I think he
2: just doesn't really like the guy. You know, he doesn't find him charming. He thinks he's kind of a jerk. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think when he sees them get a little closer and he sees constant warming up to him, he's like, well, I don't I don't, I don't, I don't love know that. what I think about this. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. This guy. It's more like so. you're, you're, you know, you're your dad or your uncle being grumpy that he doesn't like your new boyfriend.
1: Right, yeah, right. Being a little protected, especially around a known scoundrel.
2: Right, and he so, sure is. I mean, I think yeah. I think he will admit to being a scoundrel, right? He's not not hiding it.
1: Did you notice the jacket that he, after he puts on Polly's shirt, which has got to be sort of an annoying thing. <laughs> the yeah. jacket that he's wearing throughout the episode is the Commodore Comdor Argo's jacket from uh, the uh, Planet Corral. Oh, is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's got That's all the fun. little medals on it and stuff like that. So, That's yeah, it's fun. It's very good. And yeah. I'm loving Isabella Laughlin, who is playing constant. I, at yeah. first, when we first met her on Suwena in the market or not even in the market with uh, out walking around with Becky. Right. I was like, what? Who? Eh, I wasn't sure who brother monk robes, this kind of right. stuff. And now she's just becoming a delight. I'm she's really very charming. Yeah. Yeah. Doing, doing very good.
2: well. And she's funny. She's She has great comedic timing. I think she's just sarcastic enough. It doesn't feel contrived. Like you said, this was a funny episode. And I think that this trio really was the core of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and, and Constance is looking very thirsty. Yes. <laughs> she's a little thirsty for Hoover.
2: Yes, she is.
1: Did you notice her eyes? And I think this must be a Thespin thing because I believe um, – what's his name? What's, um, what's Salver's boyfriend's name? I don't know um, from He's dead now season. I don't one. have to remember it anyway. He was Thespian, <laughs> and <laughs> okay. Um, their eyes are very blue, and it makes me. And I've been talking about sort of the Dune parallels and and crossover stuff, and this this blue within blue eyes, the eyes of the Abad, uh, makes me really think because they really are accentuating that. Yeah, it's not the yeah. same as what the Spice Eyes do, but uh, again, it's just one of those little comps that that I, yeah. I can't help but notice. For sure, uh, yeah.
2: I, I picked up on that too. I think it, it is very dune.
1: Yeah. Uh what does Hober say? Cheat the greedy, bed the willing, and spend the cash.
2: Not a That's bad a great motto. Line.
1: Right. <laughs> He's clear. Not He's a got a clear man, mission motto. statement for his life. Yeah.
2: And he, so. he did cheat that one guy.
1: Yes. <laughs> that we already okay. saw. So uh there's this thing here too where Constant refers to her father as Pater. Mm-hmm. And then we she further explains that she's a Satya Thespin, which is a cultural minority within their their group, huh. and that they give they keep their names private. Okay. And so that sets up the whole running gag of the name game thing. so which yeah. is hilarious through the whole episode.
2: Yeah, that was a really good bit. I really yeah. enjoyed enjoyed the whole uh, what's your name? Yes. No. <laughs> Just, you know, this, <laughs> this whole little gag was very yeah. good.
1: Yeah. It, it adds to that. that can I comment. start calling them
2: the drunk and the monk now?
1: The drunk and the monk is perfect. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. They. You can tell they're having a lot of fun writing for Hober.
2: Yes. Especially
1: absolutely. when we get all this highbrow empire sort of stuff. And then, right. you know, you get to play with somebody like Hober. It's, I think it's got to be a lot of fun.
2: You almost wish that they would do more of this, right? It's sort of a balance because you don't want them being like, what the fuck is happening? Like they did last episode. And you don't (laughs) want them talking about taking a dump. But you do want to have some normal freaking people in this world.
1: Reacting in normal sort of ways. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So how do you have that balance, right? It's sort of like I complained about this in The Wheel of Time because The Wheel of Time, the books have in-universe swear words. Burn me. Blood and ashes, you know, all these mm-hmm. like these very I don't know, they're immersive. They're very immersive swear words. And the show chose to go with standard English curse words. And I Right, right. I Modern really wish, day, yeah. I really wish they didn't because it takes me out of it. And it's the same thing in this show. I think you really need to be careful about the flavor of the language you use mm. in science fiction and fantasy where you're trying to make me believe I am looking at a different version of the world.
1: Right. Right, and but it's very tricky too because if you come up with the wrong swear word, mm-hmm. uh, Battlestar Galactically, F- Battlestar Galactica famously had uh, "frack," and I always thought that was a bit naff. That was just uh, that didn't qu- that doesn't quite work. I feel either. like that's in a bunch of stuff. Frack, frack. Yeah. yeah. What is it? Fal- fal- faldercarb Falbercarb? What was is that Frack a that? Star
2: Wars thing? I think it might be.
1: No, so, Frack is um, is a uh, Battlestar Galactica.
2: Well. It is a Star Wars thing as well. It is profanity popular on the planet Kularin. Okay. And it is sometimes shouted by clone troopers, rebel troopers, stormtroopers, and Imperial Navy pilots on Wikipedia. I'm looking at it right now. Well,
1: you you can't argue with the Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's on
2: Wikipedia, it's just
1: it's the the Bible, basically. Battle Star Galactica. Frank, okay. Well, anyway, let's not go down into uh, a swear word hole. (laughs) Point being is that it can it can go wrong if you use the wrong sure um, sure it can go badly if if you use the wrong words and and so creating language and names is really a skill in and of itself. And so yeah, I think you're I think you're right though using modern day vernacular in how how many. Millions of years ahead of yeah. this, you know, thousands of years ahead of
2: this. It, it does. It breaks the verisimilitude slightly. I'm saying we know the wrong answer. I'm not saying I know the right answer,
1: but I know <laughs> the wrong answer. If you knew the right answer, you'd probably be on strike right now with SAG after the would. DGA. <laughs> I probably would. Or the WGA. Sorry, the DGA is not struck. But yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. Anyway, uh, back on Trantor, Queen Sarath and her enjoiner Rue conspire about the day's upcoming events and complain openly. About the symbol of empire being displayed everywhere. Queen Sarah vows to find out the truth about her family. <laughs> this was a funny I liked, scene.
2: Yeah, it was great. And I really liked this whole plain face as a common woman thing. This, mm-hmm. this um I first of all, I think she looks a lot better without the pigments. Mm-hmm. It's just I, I always thought it looked a little cheesy, honestly, but mm-hmm. I I kinda get what they were going with for with it because that's that whole planet's export is or that right. systems export is this these pigments that brother dawn is obsessed brother dusk rather is obsessed with so i don't know i get what they were going for but i do think it looks a little, a little silly sometimes i think she looked a lot more normal and a lot well and that's for us it. to
1: look normal right and yeah, they're trying that's to do true. a makeup style that you know well, is not commonplace so that's it's kind of that's the same true the language
2: that's true but also in this world that we're looking at it doesn't seem like anybody else is
1: Using doing that, that of, as well, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: even yeah. like I don't even think Rue is
1: doing it, right? Oh, no, no, Rue is definitely doing it. You no, can yeah, see she, big right. swaths, of, uh, yeah, on her face. Fair so. enough, yeah. Uh, interesting that, uh, what does uh, Sarah say? She says, uh, you know, uh, don't worry, you know, I learned most of my courtesan tricks from you, and then we learn later about Rue's courtesan past and right. how she. Uh, you know, she bed the current dusk, right? And and that was that's the deal, and it actually plays in, huh?
2: When he was day, though.
1: When he was day, yeah, and and that sets up a whole thing with the the spy and the the uh, the secret stuff that's going on. So, what is uh, and what does Ruse say? Empire makes everyone into a courtesan eventually sort of goes into uh, ice ts old line either you know there's two kinds of world <laughs> there's there's hookers and pimps right you know it's like you're working for somebody or you're working right so right so yeah she you know anybody who gets close to Empire eventually gets turned into a, a, an object that is used by Empire
2: I think that's right I mean look at Rios right mm-hmm same deal. yes Bell Rios yeah
1: um, Ella Ray Smith. Is the actress playing Queen Sarah and Sandra Yee Sin? I tried to look up her name here. Uh, uh Sin Sin Diver, I'm gonna Sin Sin Diver, that is correct. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. Sin Sin Diver, uh, is playing Rue, and they are just nailing these roles. This yeah. the casting this season has been phenomenal.
2: This is the most Game of Thrones y this show has ever been mm. in these scenes.
1: Did you notice something? Um, this is a technical detail that I picked up, and if we ever God forbid, ever got a chance to talk to anybody from the show. This is a question. This is one question I wrote down in my list. Okay, there as they're leaving and sort of she, you know, puts her robes and stuff on. There is some natural sun flare, right? So when the the sun is striking the glass yep. lens, and you get the little uh, um, uh, little colored discs, you know, coming across the screen, they there is an intentional ginormous lens flare that okay. looks digitally added and it's huh. sort of a red yellow fade thing big circle in the middle of the screen and i don't know if they did that intentionally to mask the other sun flare there or to give some sort of weird visual effect as they're they're leaving i don't know if you noticed it
2: i did not notice it but okay. you are more into that stuff than the i am the visual stuff yeah yeah
1: so anyway, I don't know if anybody's got a theory about that or go back and watch that scene and see if you catch it too. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not just my copy of the screener that, that has that. So. Right.
2: All right, David, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll resume the episode. And we're back. David, lead us back yes. in.
1: All right. So we've got a big scene, a couple of big scenes here. Uh, to start off, we've got Queen Sareth and Dawn walk and talk, followed by Sareth's body man. We learn about Dusk and Rue decades ago, and Dawn invites Sareth to talk privately in a secluded grove under a large banyan tree. Day wants to know if she's behind the assassination attempt and Sarath wants to know if Dawn killed her family. I think you Dawn, strike would you-
2: that reverse it. Uh, I think <laughs> oh. Dawn wants to know if she's uh, behind the the assassins, and Sarath wants to know if Day.
1: Oh, did I have my days and my Dawns? You got your mixed days up. and your Dawns mixed up, but it's okay. We we got there eventually. Oh man, you know sometimes when I'm watching these scenes and writing these outlines, I'm trying to do my research or wait. Who's on first? that? And oh boy, I yeah. get into it, and it's it's a lot of work. It's it's yeah. a lot of effort. So definitely. But thanks for um, catching that. I appreciate it. No worries. I was trying to be all dramatic in my reading as well.
2: (laughs) That's okay. Um, So the chemistry between Dawn and Sarath, my question by the end of this episode is- So good. Is this a manipulation from Sarath trying to woo Dawn into being attracted to her and being blind as young men are? To a Can we woman. say
1: <laughs> – and or or Sareth using chaos as a ladder, right, to sow discord between <laughs> yeah. the brothers.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? Why don't they have you marry me? It seems so obvious, right? Like, like just leading him – giving him that little bit to chew on because he's going to be That's thinking right. about that for the next month.
1: But then I had a question. Okay. Was Dawn – yeah, so the question is, is Dawn naive here or – and and too young to see the ruse that she's playing. I mean, her crocodile tears were very convincing, Mm -hmm. but they were right on cue. And, you know, the moment she starts talking about her family, she's shedding tears. It's like, Oh, that's pretty convenient. So is Don savvy enough to, to see through that? No. Or, or is he (laughs) too, you know, is his, are his emotions getting mixed up? So, and then I have another question is, is if, if, if the if empire is as surveillance heavy as we know they are, remember in season one we know that one of the shadow masters had a cloaking like a personal cloak bodysuit. Okay. So yeah, they're in a secluded grove, but are they secluded?
2: Right. Good question. Um, I would also say the last season dawn was wooed and fooled by a pretty woman. Uh-huh. And so we know that it is in the DNA line, at least. That's true. That at that age, he's still a young man. You know, he's still susceptible to the same thing young men are susceptible to.
1: Right. He's not immune to it. Right. Um. What does she say? Day is looking for someone too desperate enough to climb on top of an empire with dangerously adjusted frontiers. What a line. The sexual metaphor and the innuendo wrapped up in political maneuverings and family and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, she's really dangerous. She's way smarter than I think a lot of people realize. And it's just the question is, is does Empire have savvy enough to see the game within a game that's being played here?
2: Right. I think – I think day is onto her a little bit. I think dusk is onto her more. I really think like the older you get, it's sort of the more that they are onto what's going on. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know because dusk was pretty wooed by the pigments.
1: Yes, he was, and he was very wooed by by Rue as well. Yeah. yeah, So in 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 uh, reliving their past a little bit. Yeah. And then at the end, it was really interesting the way she sort of friend zoned him, right? She extends a hand. Let's always promise to be honest with each other. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, friends. Okay, you're in the friend zone box. And then she puts her hand on his arm. And then she says, oh, I think we would have been suitable as mates. So she's really messing with his head a lot. Yes, she
2: is. She knows exactly what she's doing here. Exactly. It's great to watch. very savvy. Very. Very, very savvy.
1: I was loving it. And and this idea of asking a younger version of the same man what he might do in the future. I'd like to think that I could be capable of doing that. But then, of course, I didn't know you by then, you know, by then. So yeah. that's yeah. that's all really super interesting. Yeah,
2: it's uh, that's tough. That's tough. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, you're not just, you know, your DNA, but older. You're the sum of your experiences, too. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know I don't know um, I guess it would be a little easier in this situation because they all have the same job right like they all lead the same life a sense of right yeah so I don't know
1: all right John we got to talk about the banyan tree here this ginormous tree in this secluded grove okay. that they're walking around the I think the tree is operating on a really interesting level as a metaphor here okay. So this type of uh, tree is a is a fig. It's a type of fig tree, and the seeds when they fall on the ground because of what, what whatever whatever they don't they're unlikely to survive. But seeds that fall on another tree, the seeds from this tree that fall on another tree are more likely to take root and grow. And uh, so this is called an uh, epiphyte. A tree that grow or a plant that grows on another plant, plant, but this tree has a uh, habit of strangling hmm. the trees that or plants that it originally grows on. So what happens is, uh, and then another thing that happens is, is this tree will shoot out these things called prop roots, big root structures that are whole that are holding it up because if it's growing on another plant, it needs to sort of prop itself up. Okay. So it shoots these big root structures out and that's where you get those really wild, uh, intricate, like, whoa, I'm like walking in some sort of weird maze thing here. So those prop roots allow the tree to expand horizontally, potentially infinitely because as it expands mm. horizontally it can keep dropping its seeds on other plants right around it and it can consume them and take all of that over hmm. and then what happens eventually is that the, the original host tree or plant that was at the center where this thing started will will die it's, it's strangled by the banyan tree eventually and then it'll die and rot leaving a hollow void space in the center Wow! So here we have empire, you know, growing and we have, you know, something dead inside and something that takes on, you know, you know, the uh, sort of uh, uh, cannibalizes all of the life around it. So I just thought it was a really interesting place to have this conversation besides being visually stunning.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's super interesting. I appreciate the forestry lesson. I think it it is very appropriate <laughs> here because yeah. that that does sound like a metaphor. You know, is Dominion is Dominion the hollow on tree, the inside? Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So we are wow. the lorehounds after I like it. all. So
2: we we I like, we like it a lot, to go in David. Deep on these that was things. that was that was some good lorehounding.
1: I I've seen these trees before. I think if you know folks who've traveled, you know, maybe into Southeast Asia or Africa somewhere, you you might have seen these these trees. But they're just so visually striking and and. It had to mean. I had to go find the meaning, (laughs) even if the showrunner didn't mean it. uh, I still no. I appreciate it. I think
2: that's that's a really good theory there.
1: Yeah, I've got another big one coming up later when they're when they're on Sowena. uh, I will award
2: you your internet points at the end of the season.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. Even I'll I'll, I'll even get bigger points if we ever talk to somebody involved in the production. I want to. That's another (laughs) one I want to find out about. There you go. All right. Next scene. Rue admires the murals, and Dusk invites her to relive to relive their shared youth after they dance around the politics of the impending union between Empire and Dominion.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, I feel like this was kind of a short scene, but mm-hmm. I did enjoy. For, first of all, it was interesting to hear that she did have her memory wiped. She was a standard, mm-hmm. you know, consort with right. Empire, In the
1: Gossamer Court. Yep.
2: And that she leveraged this to become high ranking in the political structure of Dominion. Yep. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yep. And uh, that we then later learn that she was able to reverse the memory erasure. Right. Right. At least
2: ostensibly.
1: Yeah. Which is fascinating.
2: Yeah. And it, and as we, you know, you mentioned the uh what were they called? The the assassins that had the, yes, the psycho the encryption. hmm Was this part of a technology that was developed by Dominion?
1: Oh. Is good, this the same interesting. thing? Interesting. Because it does it seem be. like
2: they are pretty good yeah. at manipulating memories, according yeah. to them at least.
1: Okay, I like it. That's a good theory. That's some good uh, tinfoil hat action there. Question. Same question that we asked of Dawn. Is Dusk being a bit foolish here, chasing after lost romance and, and sort of Probably. lusting after Rue? Probably. Or is he savvy and is he playing a game within a game?
2: I don't know. I The more I learn about Cleon, the less I think of him. you know all of them all of them together like uh the one who walked the spiral was kind of cool but other than that they've all been pretty much jerks and incompetent or kind of unintelligent so i don't know i don't know we'll see i kind of have little faith in this dusk
1: okay um a couple of details here there is At the end of the scene when they're in the hallway looking at the murals and they're walking out, we zoom in on – they walk past this and then they zoom in of a figure of a humanoid type figure that could – like the skin is kind of hollow and you can kind of see weird shapes within the body form. And I was wondering if that is uh, uh, depicting a robot of, of some kind. Okay. But then what's even more interesting is above the robot's head, there are eight planets with sort of orbital lines running around them. And the third planet is bluish green. The fourth planet is very red. The next two planets are really large. So that matches very much the sole solar system with um, was it Mercury or Venus first? I always forget. Um, And they it's it's a really clear shot. If you if you catch it as they're walking off screen, you think you're just looking at the mural, but we've got a robot and we've got something that looks like our solar system.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we have had Earth name dropped in the series before. Uh, oh, some people say that we come from a place called Earth. Right. So who knows? Who knows? And I think that was as Salver Harden was a child, right? So she would have at least the passing knowledge of Earth.
1: So, John, I just shared this image that we were talking uh, about with you. And what do you I don't know. What do you see? Do you see this humanoid shape? Is it It looks kind of weird, right? I can't what, yeah. tell what's going with the organs and the muscles, the yeah. hand.
2: I don't, I don't know. I don't, it does not speak robot to me because it's got this like brain structure Uh going on. But, and we know that we have a decentralized robot with Demerzel,
1: Right, right.
2: But I'm, I'm, I can't disprove it either.
1: Right. (laughs) But then if you look at the planets above it, right, there's a sun, then there's the third planet. And then there's a fourth planet, which is red, two big planets, and then two sort of bluish planets.
2: Yeah. Somehow. I buy that. I buy that being the solar system.
1: Okay, yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think it. maybe what I'll, I'll try to do is once once the embargo lifts, I'll, I'll post this in our uh, Discord. Um, okay, and uh, this image and see what see what other people think about it.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good idea.
1: Okay, cool. Um, last little thing I wanted to point out in the Gossamer Court: no boobs, only man butts. Ah. Where normally nice. in, a, in a normal show, we'd get a lot of uh, exposed female breast. Uh, and in this one, we have none. So, you know what? It's refreshing. Yes, it is.
2: Now, if Lee Pace wants to do that, no.
1: <laughs> Thirst trap. All du- right.
2: Duv is just shaking in his boots right now. <laughs> he's walking his dog, and the rain is pouring <laughs> down, and he's like, You did it again, lorehounds. All right. right.
1: That's right. That's right. All right. Destiny jumps out of hyperspace over Sowena, and we get uh, another voiceover from Gail. We pair to procreate, or so we're taught. Love itself is inconsequential when measured against the scale of the galaxy. So, again, putting us into this uh, space of love and relationships, uh, and now we're going into a scene between uh, two husbands going on an away mission
2: uh, I'm, I'm going to um, completely disagree with Gail here. She is the one who is advocating to change history to save her daughter out right. of love.
1: Interesting. So this is an interesting question that I don't think that we've really talked about. And it does get touched on in uh, one of the official podcasts is when is Gail talking? Who is she talking to? Good and question. Is she talking? Good question. I just mean...
2: I don't I don't agree with that. I think people do crazy things for love. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. they do illogical things and I think that they change plans for love. I think that that is completely false and even within the show is false.
1: Can you measure for love? Can you statistically uh, account for love and the crazy things that I don't
2: know because I'm not a psycho historian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're a guide to psycho history, so All oh, right, right. Okay, as General Rios gets a briefing from the deck officer, Rios exposits about the outer reach and then declines a shuttle ride down to Sowena in favor of winging it with Officer Kerr, uh, otherwise known as Glewin. They are then shot out of the ship in pods that take them through the atmosphere, and they do a version of a halo jump, high high altitude, low opening, to the surface in wingsuits Seems like Rios missed the landing, and they now need to find their extraction kit.
2: Mm. What do you think about this?
1: You got some? You you said you liked the fine. action. This,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I more meant the um, like this was fine. I more scene. meant the fight scene. I thought that was uh-huh. better because that just felt. I I want to talk about the fight scene when we get there, but that was something where it felt like it got out of hand really quickly, mm-hmm. and it felt right for that moment and for this group of people.
1: Cool. Okay. So um, one of the things that Rios says is that this is a type, or not, Rios doesn't say this, the, the deck officer says this about uh, Suena that this is a type zero civilization. This okay. is something that is uh, called the Kardashev scale. Okay. And it's a scale that was proposed by this uh, mathematician physicist guy about um, stages of development of planets, of planets potential planetary ecosystems and it's measured in scale so a type zero civilization lives within the energy of the place that they live and i believe a type one is able to harness all the energy that's on their planet and like a type two can harness energy from the solar system and then like a type three gets into like Galaxy spanning energy consumption. Galaxy so a, brain,
2: right? <laughs> yes.
1: It's a way to scale civilization, not based on technology or culture or religions or values or belief, but just by organisms consuming energy and the energy that they can harness and harvest. And so Suena is a type zero. So they're living off the energy, they're not harvesting the energy for furthering their own. Uh, right. planetary growth you know growth of, okay. uh, of people so okay fair enough um and i think it's it's by and large a, a an accepted thing at least in the star trek community that it
2: sounds sh- super consumery right the, the more Cartesian you consume scale? in energy mm, yes yes it is you uh the the better you are oh that's right
1: well it's yeah. just scale right you know can okay, you consume yeah in yeah your yeah galaxy, so.
2: i don't know the numbers are going up my brain wants me to think that that's better
1: <laughs> um but yeah as I was, as I was saying I think in this Star Trek community it's largely accepted that you should not go on away missions with your spouse. Okay. It's generally not a good idea.
2: <laughs> okay, why is that? It, is it has it
1: gone wrong? Well, because yeah because eventually somebody's spouse gets like killed or hurt or something like that. Right, so I was right. really surprised to see the head of the fleet you know, of, of this famous general, and he's in charge of this massive army to be the guy on the away mission to do this with his husband. It seemed a little bit, uh, you know. Well, what could possibly go wrong? We got to do rule of cool here, right? We've got to yeah. have him in in a wingsuit and, and doing stuff. So, yeah. All right. Uh, on the surface of Suena, Rios and Kerr are confronted by some locals who found the extraction kit. When a woman spits on Kerr, Rios attacks, leading to a deadly confrontation in which all but one of the locals are killed. The last one runs to get reinforcements, and the two argue about Rios's quick temperature. Temperature? Yeah. Temper.
2: Temper. Uh, yeah, temper, so temper. I, I guess this is why you don't go with your spouse, right? Because right. somebody gets spat on and the other one goes, Hey! And, uh, or then you argue
1: well. like why the hell did you do that you know i had right. the situation totally in, in you know so right. i don't know if you go to home home depot or ikea with your spouse <laughs> have it you ever usually go well did you watch 30 rock
2: back in the day uh, i did did you see the ikea episode
1: where they didn't they get lost in it or something or no there's this
2: whole thing where ikea gets joy in the in the show ikea gets joy out of breaking couples up <laughs> so the workers are just like lurking and watching them fight and going yes.
1: Yes, uh, feeding off the energy. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I,
2: I live for this. So uh yeah, so that's that's this mission for them.
1: Totally, completely. So but you like the uh, you like the action sequence here?
2: I did like this. I thought it, like I said, I think it spiraled out of control very quickly in a way that felt real Mm -hmm. because these people were very reactionary. I also really liked that they did something that they never do in these action sequences, which is they did not care about their comrade. These guys like, we're going to kill this lady if you don't Mm -hmm. put your guns down. And they laugh. They laugh in his face. And then, and then open fire. Yeah. At that moment, Kerr knew he messed up. Right. Mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he was like, he was like, oh yeah, this was not, this was not the move.
1: Right. Yeah. And it really, and and Bell, uh, jumps the gun on that. He understands the situation faster than Glaywin does, and so he he acts, but Glaywin's not ready for it. So yeah, we get a little conflict between the right the pair here. So yeah,
2: B- Bell was great at solving the problem he freaking caused.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I think Bell, well, he even says at the end, you know, that was cathartic, uh, but he certainly was enjoying himself. He, he felt yeah. he, he he felt he had a sort of a smile on his face during the whole, whole of the action. So which is
2: troubling because people died and you're having a blast. I mean, yeah, I think part of it is he likes being in control again instead of being essentially a right. slave to the Empire.
1: That's a good point. Um what, no auras. They don't have personal. The commander of the fleet certainly would have a personal aura, wouldn't he? Oh, I
2: thought that it was um, only Empire. I yeah, thought it was literally only Empire.
1: Interesting. Okay, that's my. So understanding. Nobody else. I could be
2: wrong, but I oh. yeah, I thought that that it was just for them.
1: Well, then we'd be into Dune for sure because everybody's got shields, those personal shield things in uh, in Dune. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. By the time you recognize an atrocity, you may have you may already be complicit in one. Yeah, this is I a like really line interesting a line.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to recognize it when you're in the middle of it, right?
1: Right, and again, it goes to Glaywin, uh having doubts and reservations and asking why and what are we doing and and is this really the right thing to do? He's almost a conscious, a moral conscious, uh, uh, balancing bell in some ways, but kind of in an annoying way slightly because he doesn't. Do it tactfully. He really does a lot of finger wagging.
2: Yeah, but I almost wonder if they're setting up Kerr to have to mutiny against yes. his husband. Yes. Because Rios is just going to take something one step too far. And I don't want him to just have to kill him, but maybe throw him in the brig.
1: Well, and this is what I was saying last episode that I think Glewyn is going to die because he's going to say something that is seditious and Empire is going to be like, <laughs> off with your head. And then Bell is like, "Okay, you killed my, you you really killed my husband this time. And where does that put me in relationship to my emperor, who I swore an oath to? Yeah, it's so, tricky, right? It's tricky. Yeah. That's why that's why you don't go on away missions with your with your spouse. Exactly. So it's not a good exactly. idea. They
2: never say seditious things if they don't go on the away mission.
1: <laughs> uh, real quick, the little buggy thing that the that the locals had." Uh, it's called an Argo. And in the seventies, uh, my, my Gen X, my Gen X people will know that this was kind of a thing. So to see one in a show was it was very cool. Okay. They were in the back of comic books and every once in a while you'd see one on like the, the, Oh, what was it? The, uh, Steve Austin, the uh, bionic man when he was fighting Bigfoot and you know, all this kind of stuff. So it was cool to see that. Um, I don't know if that was just a practical thing or if Goyer, who's a who's a contemporary, uh, said, hey, let's throw one of those in there, but it was fun.
2: I have no idea, but that's cool.
1: All right. On Terminus, Polly and Constant show Hober the vault with his name on it. Hober sees the remains of the Warden and is afraid, but accidentally backs up in the vault and is sucked in. Polly and Constant follow Hober in and Cermak reluctantly joins them a moment later. Inside the vault... They meet Hober, who's been waiting two days in his time, even though it took Constant and Polly only two minutes to walk in from the outside. Polly believes that they are inside the mathematics of Harry Selden. So yeah. we, we, we kind of talked about the, the dump line. So, you know, yeah, let's let's let it go. Let's yeah, let it go. exactly. Other than uh, that, Hober
2: was very charming. And yeah. again, uh, you know, really great addition to the show, I think really changes the flavor of the show in mm-hmm. a good way. And uh yeah uh them getting lost well you are lost <laughs> that was a that was a really great moment right and yeah just oh and the the running bit with the bar was really good and mm-hmm. he was he was uh yo
1: oh you have a ralph barn
2: you have a ralph yes barn. exactly when, when he wasn't when he was so like uh you have these on the on the ship before what is it
1: uh yeah yeah you have one it was yeah
2: you get really a sense that this guy has learned to live on necessity.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, going inside of the Prime Radiant, it was a very uh, TARDIS and, you know, Doctor Who yes, kind of yeah. thing. So
2: It looked a lot better than Doctor Who, though.
1: Yeah, and it looks like they reused some of the sets mm-hmm. from the Prime Radiant in the beginning with those weird step things. Yeah, I'm sure they build a big enough set like that. You want to kind of get your money, you know, right. out of it. So it, it felt very much like... Uh, which is fine. I'm not criticizing. I'm just pointing yeah. out from a Yeah, no, I thought it looked detail. great, this, this yeah.
2: episode especially.
1: All right. Within the vault, the group follows the music to a dinner party hosted by Harry, who explains that the math of the vault can rearrange molecules and create things like food from his body. He praises the clerics for their service in the religious age, then enlists the group in his new initiative to avoid war with Empire. Polly and, ah, okay, and Constant are sent to Trantor to treat with Empire, but Hover. Ah, God. Okay, I gotta marker this again. Polly and Constant are set to Trantor to treat with Empire, but Hover is given a secret mission to become the blade behind the Foundation's back.
2: You taste delicious, by the way,
1: <laughs> and you have a very fine suit, my friend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were there were a lot of great lines here. Uh, I really loved again Hober the, the actor. I got to find out his name. Get me, get me on IMDb, David. Okay, but right, here um, it comes. But Hober the actor was so good at, when at first Constant goes. So this would be from your body. He just he looks up and he's like, ah. <laughs> and then he thinks to himself. He goes. All right, but I'm really hungry.
1: So delicious! <laughs> so, You're so delicious.
2: I mean, you know what? All food is based on reconstituted remains exactly. at some level. That's right. He's rearranged it. It's not his body anymore. I'm right. I think. I think if I were starving, I I think Hober, Hobers right.
1: Right. It's just molecules. Uh, Dimitri Leonidas is uh, Hobers' actor. Is the ac- Oh, great job? Actor. I've yeah. never seen him in anything. I don't think. Yeah, no, I'm not familiar with him either, uh, but we'll have to um, take a look to see what else he's done. Yeah, nothing notable. Uh, A lot of stuff (laughs) is what I can say. He was in the Monuments Men. He's in Foundation, obviously. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's got a long filmography and what he has done it's uh it's not top tier stuff
2: so i kind of wish he was playing matt in the wheel of time he has that vibe
1: oh really is this ju- is this so. nail it yeah
2: that's that's the matt tone for the middle books
1: okay well yeah. hey it's cool. never too late we're only on season two so
2: yeah we've already recast once so
1: yeah well, we can, well, we can recast do it again. We can. five more times <laughs> exactly yeah um all right so a tesseract uh, is not only an artifact in the MCU, but it uh, is a real yeah. geometrical object. It's a cube within a cube. Yeah. So
2: and- I thought it was just an MCU thing. And then he said, it. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Do I have to call Jean and Alicia? Like, exactly. I, I don't know what to do here.
1: No, just go to Wikipedia. There's a whole article. I tried to read it. It hurt my brain. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> the thing that I was able to understand is that it's a cube within a cube. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, I believe you. And a polychron is a four dimensional object. So these are all true mathematical things that they're talking about. So a Tesseract is a polychron and da 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 da. So like a, like a maple is a tree, right? It's, you know, right, I think, right. uh, you know, it, it's polychron is, is the larger thing. I tried to read the articles on, on both of these and it, it hurt, it hurt me. So <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's, yeah. Uh, I, and again, they sweat the details on the math stuff, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Maybe we'll
2: have a mathematician write in and be like, this math is horseshit. And you should all be embarrassed <laughs> for
1: liking it. And ashamed that you're watching the show. Yeah. <laughs> Back on Suena, Rios, and Kerr meet with the informant, a patrician named uh, Dusim. I think, am I saying that right? Dukum, Dusim, yeah. Yep. Dusim, who has remained loyal to Empire after its retreat from the Outer Rim. Dusum tells them about the magicians representing the Foundation, including the personal aura technology and their whisper ships uh, that jump travel without spacers. He gifts them a book about the morality of war before the locals come to attack. Do some reveals that he's poisoned himself and uh, already in request, he be shot before they escape.
2: I really liked the code phrases that they Mm -hmm. introduced them with. You know, it felt very natural. Yeah. This working things in and, and his slow realization. I think everyone really did their acting job here. It sold me on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, this, this guy's just kind of a noble, right? And he's living as it's just a regular crib, guy. Man. Yeah, really? he's living he's a patrician, right? So he's yeah. a noble. He's he's living as this regular guy on this planet. Uh, I think later he refers to one of the he refers to the people as his friends, right? These these mm-hmm. people are my friends.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, people like he's rather known not for all be these tortured years. by them. hmm Yeah. Yeah, he was in the um, market scene in episode one. He was the guy with the the eye, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, interesting. The title of this episode, uh, Where the Stars Are Scattered Thinly, this is a line out of the book Foundation and Empire. Okay. And this whole scene is an inspired scene directly out of the book where – Bell Rios and the, the nobleman, the patrician, meet. And uh, in the book sequence, I won't go deep into it, but uh, Bell uses the line uh, uh, where the stars are scattered thinly, and I think it's something goes like, um, and, the, and co- space is cold or something to that effect. Mm. They drink tea and a bunch of stuff happens in the book, so they see books on the shelves and that's a big deal. So all of this is, is directly out of the books, but it's jumbled up and chopped up to, to make the story work. But I love the fact that they took this one line where the stars are scattered thinly and turned it into the code phrase.
2: Yeah, that's cool.
1: So yeah, it's, it's a really nice bit of, of work, of insp- inspired work directly from the books. So. Cool. All right, uh, something else, okay, and, uh, again, more- More. I,
2: I see your deep dive written <laughs> in, so go
1: for it. It's, it's all here. Um, so the book that Glewin uh, looks at is the Bhagavad Gita, or it's a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, which is a small chapter in a Sanskrit epic called the Mahabharata. Okay. The, that was written sometime around the 3rd century BCE, we're not sure um, when, and the Mahabharata is around 1.8 million words long. It is longer wow. than the Iliad and the Odyssey together by a factor of like 10 or something like. Wow! That. Can, yeah, it is insanely huge. Um, and it's this massive story about these two groups of cousins who are in conflict with each other, and it's. Full of teachings around uh, morality and creation mythology and uh, fictional, you know, oh, you know, what do you do if your brother's fighting and how do you solve these problems? Um, It talks about love. it It just, it's just full of incredible teachings and stuff. And back in the mid '90s, there was a. Play that was made uh, that somebody made a play of it, and then they televised that play, so they had sort of a teleplay, and it was like Hmm. PBS and stuff. And it was something when I saw it, it just blew me out of the water. I loved this, it was just an incredible thing. And I've read the Mahabharata, a very condensed, you know, translation version of it a a few times. And so, this conversation that so the Bhagavad Gita is a small chapter within the Mahabharata, and it's a conversation between a character named Arjuna and Krishna, the god Krishna, who is an avatar of the god Vishnu. Krishna is kind of a, uh, I'm, I'm not doing a direct comparison, but it's kind of a Christ-like figure in the sense that there's a bigger god up there, and then here I am, uh, flesh and blood embodiment on the earth with you uh, here now. Gotcha and so they have this they're they're on the edge of battle the two forces are lined up in a raid and the only thing that they're waiting for is for Arjuna to blow his horn and then they'll go to war so as Arjuna's realizing the gravity of the situation that he's about to send millions of people to their deaths he's going to be fighting with his his family his brothers may end up being you know injured or or killed themselves he has this moment of crisis and he's like, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is crazy. War is yeah. insane. It's, it's horrible. And so Krishna sits with him and they stop and they talk for hours. And he, and he walks him through. Have you done everything that you can to avoid this war? Is there anything else that you could have done? Or is this, are we at the point where there is no other action to take? If there is no other action to take... Then you must follow something that's called your dharma, the right action, the noble action, the way that you're supposed to, you know, execute right, all right. things with honor and, and tradition and whatever, blah blah blah. So he counsels him through this of like going through all the morality of the situation, and then in the end having to choose to act, to make a choice to act, because there is no other choices to be made. That this is what you've got to do, because the the other side's just not. Going to negotiate they're just not right. willing to, to have any more conversation and there's a lot of bad blood between both sides so that glewin is looking at this and and taking it and he even says you know uh you know the patrician even calls him out and says you know oh it's you know you know that you're a guy that asks the question why why are we doing this why is this necessary what is this about that's the question that we need to ask and so Glewyn as this voice of questioning and morality, uh, next to Bell, as Foundation and Empire are approaching the battle lines with each other, mm-hmm. at some point is Bell going to hesitate? Is he going to, you know, think about this because he knows the cost of war, or is Glewin going to say or do something like? So I think there's my money's uh, on Glewin. I don't know what's going to happen, but that the fact that we're that they're bringing us to the brink of war is the interesting thing. And then that this book has something to say about it, I think, is fascinating. And it makes me love the show all the all the reason more.
2: Yeah, no, that's really cool. I did not realize that this was a real historical piece of work rather than something made up for the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's cool. uh, Again, like with the Banyan tree or, you know, this other stuff that they're that they're mining our rich history, you know, because the earth has got a lot going on. Sure. does. And then being able to weave it into the story is exactly the kind of science fiction that is, you know, really satisfying. Good stuff. My
2: question is, if you can have a copy of this piece of work, this Mm -hmm. very specific piece of work, how do you not have a record that it came from earth? How do you not have one book in this entire galaxy that says, oh, yeah, we came from Earth?
1: Right. Right.
2: Nothing. You got no history books. You didn't have any.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a good question.
2: Seems like a little bit of a plot hole, but whatever.
1: Whatever. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, that may be a little hand wavy bit that we have to deal with. Yeah. So. Um, Glavin does mention the evolutionary AI, and they're really blown away by Whisper Ships and or personal Aura technology. So, yeah, that really cements the fact that that Foundation is is a perceivable threat now. Yeah. Um, to and AI.
2: the evolutionary AI thing is that a clue about Harry? Nice. Is that a clue uh, about Calais, Calais? Yeah.
1: the Prime Radiant? Uh, 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 what's her name, Demerzel? Yeah. All of it. All of it. Like, yeah. So yeah, that's a good pick though. That is absolutely a good pick. Right. Cool. Cool. Okay. All right. Uh, In the vault, Harry tells the group that the prime radiant is a quantum computer that exists in a state of superposition, meaning it can be in more than one place at once. Cermak makes another pitch for war, but Harry insists on diplomacy. He counsels the group to hide the new jump technology from the empire Harry also tells Polly he killed the warden to be intermittently wrathful and prevent the warden from claiming to be his divine vassal. Polly then abstains from drinking. Let no being presume upon my mercy.
2: Yeah, Polly was as freaked out as me about that line. (laughs) Harry said that and I went, oh, no. Yeah, that's not that's not good here. That's mm-hmm. definitely not good that you are talking like an actual God right now.
1: Right. <laughs> well, you know, statistically significant, you know, the the warden wasn't that important <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, Look, even though to him he was Im- himself, yeah. he was important.
2: Look, I did not care for the warden. I thought he was kind of a jerk. He was kind of a bully. He... Assumed that he knew what was right. He'd probably be a warmonger in this situation, just like Sir Mac. and then it would be two to one when he goes against Polly. Right. However, that wasn't just a slap on the wrist guy. He's ashes. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, all yeah. Harry would have to do is come out and say, Look at this. This guy is pathetic. He's just trying to get me to come out and treat me like a god. Come on. We're better than this. Let's get this going. Let's fix what's going on.
1: <laughs> but we're in the religion phase. And oh, okay. this is gonna play right. Okay. This plays. <laughs> All right.
2: All right. All right. Somebody build an ark. Uh,
1: what do you think about this? The the church will fall away in time and be replaced by another mechanism.
2: That made me go, huh? I think I've talked about before. You need something to believe in, right? Mm-hmm, some yeah. kind of shared belief to have a functioning society. They did the technology. They did the encyclopedia. Now they're on the religious phase. I think they were going towards militarism. Mm -hmm. But can we sub something else out, right? Right. I don't know. And
1: is it a phase? Do you just grow out of it eventually? Right. If you don't kill yourself on the, your society on the way out.
2: Right. Yeah. That's a good question. There was this old theory posited by some people. I don't know what kind of scientists, but called spiral dynamics that talked about Hmm, different levels of. The development of civilization i know we just talked about that scale earlier but this is sort of different because right. it focuses on people right. and what they do and it starts off with very you know uh like a red civilization where everything is about who's stronger than the other person it moves on to more of a, a, a religious based situation where there are very strict rules and you have to follow them and and that's how you keep society together then you go into these more like science logic based uh situations but I don't know how scientifically supported this is now, because I don't think this really caught fire. But this this theory always fascinated me, and I think it may work well in a storytelling media. Okay. Rather right. than as using as some kind of handbook to civilization.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I thought it, It to me, in this scene, in this situation, the idea that Harry is, he's he's engineered society, right? Right. Um, and he's brought Thespens and uh, Oh um, Anacreons together with Foundation. Yep. And now they're ascending, and they're going to challenge. And I think, without getting too far into the books, that comes later. Is that they're sort of, I mean, I think it's three major forces, uh, sort of stories, tech, you know, sort of ways of being. That come into conflict is it three or four that you know you know if we're going to survive as a species we have to figure out this modality this this way of being this belief structure or 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 way of of working in some way and I think that this is hinting at that Uh, same as the the idea that you were talking about is you know where are we on this sort of scale and and what sort of um, end result will that get us
2: yeah. This line, a passing ghost, drop your name. Yeah. What did you Who make of Who is that? the passing ghost? Mm. Is it Kale?
1: Yeah. But Ka- yeah, well, we haven't seen Kale move around, but she can fold space, at least according yeah, to her she mathematics.
2: Was, she was in the prime radiant. She was on the mountain. Like she knew that she was there. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, honestly, the rules are squishy enough right now where it could be anybody. Right. But I don't know.
1: And is it just a Wi-Fi? You know, maybe a ship passing by and his Wi-Fi connection, you know, got a hold of it. I don't know.
2: Or is it that Gail heard the name Hober Mallow mm-hmm. in her vision?
1: Uh, and she
2: talked about it with that Harry Selden,
1: mm-hmm. who we
2: know is part of the Prime Radiant, which is super Positioned.
1: positioned.
2: And is in both places. And then the prime radiant told this Harry. I don't know.
1: That could be interesting. Maybe the
2: passing ghost is the mule.
1: Yeah. That could be interesting if the prime radiant is super positioned with the uh, with with the one that's in there. But God. Yeah. All right. So this is like you say, it's still squishy. I don't know what yet to make it squishy. It's too squishy. squishy. They got to
2: clean this up a little bit. Right. And I think they will.
1: Yeah. I, I hope, hopefully. Um, so superposition. Yeah. Two things. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. We're definitely going to have to have to, to see where they take it with this. I with think the they're drunk in the monk, the drunk in the monk, multi di abruzzo, or what did we have? We had a, uh, a, uh, what was it? Um uh, uh, I can't even think of what he said. It's anyway, that's a real wine that he's talking about, except it's from another galaxy. So wait, do you, the blend is a, is a, is you like, have these words that come
2: from a, I don't know. I don't know. You're, <laughs> you're bringing too many things from my time in chess while you're yeah, telling me that words. you don't know what planet you're from.
1: Yeah. That's interesting.
2: That says to me, that's, that's a little silly to me. I'll be honest.
1: Okay. Well, well, let's see where it goes, right? Maybe, maybe they're messing, messing with us. What did you make of uh Polly not taking a drink uh, as he, he walks out?
2: I think he heard Harry being wrathful and went, I got to get my shit together because somebody <laughs> needs to be a counterweight on this.
1: I was kind of thinking that he's he's been do- – like we were saying before, I think you said this uh, in a podcast or two ago, that he was sort of self-medicating because he's having to do this silly religion thing when he doesn't yes, really want to. that's
2: be. part of it too, for sure.
1: Yeah, and so now he's got a real mission. Yeah. You know, stop war with Empire. Right. And that's something he can believe in. And and yeah, he can't be drunk uh while doing that. Right.
2: Cermak is of course left without a mission.
1: <laughs> but he just, still has a fine suit. Just get out of here. Just <laughs> get out of here. Fine suit, director. Fine suit. Yeah. Uh all right. Um and now we have uh well, we yeah, we don't really need to talk about the college of his father's fists.
2: Yeah, we kind of mentioned that.
1: Yeah. So uh, but this idea of a blade behind the fist behind the back with a blade.
2: Yes. What is Harry planning with Hober Mallow?
1: Yeah. Where is he going? And what does Harry know that we don't? That he's got to send. He's, he's Homer going to somewhere. get the spider
2: robots. Create an army <laughs> of spider robots. <laughs>
1: right. Get those guys fired up. Sick them on, <laughs> uh, on Empire. Okay, uh, let's go to the secret garden. Dominion and Rue hire an Imperial soldier named uh, Markley, Markley. (laughs) not Malarkey, Markley, (laughs) to investigate whether Day orchestrated the death of Serif's family. They reveal that Dominion has created technology to thwart memory audits. Serif also asks Markley to get the security footage of Day's assassination attempt to determine how they survived
2: yeah uh, a lot here a lot here we learn they've gotten past the memory audits rue's doing a great job of acting in front of dusk she doesn't remember mm-hmm. so that's, yeah she really that's, uh, did yeah she's good at deception we've learned that unless yep. unless they're lying about tricks they're lying in one of these spots right either she doesn't remember and they don't actually have that technology although i think that's unlikely
1: i think that's unlikely or yeah.
2: She's really good at lying to dusk.
1: She's really good at lying to dusk she knows what she's doing. she's got power. I love the fact to, too to see this character who knows that she has power and she knows how to use it she knows how to wield it and, and to work uh, so she's sort of at the top of her game. The question is is uh, is Empire's game better than Dominion's game?
2: Yeah I don't think it is they're kind of they're kind of silly boys now yeah
1: <laughs> what do you make of the scars on Markley's face? That was quite an interesting review. Hmm.
2: I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen many Imperial soldiers. That's mm-hmm. one of the problems. Right. Is he a soldier? Is he security? I, I don't think that was made super security. clear. Either. I don't think he's. Yeah, he he's security. not like
1: army. He's like, okay. uh, yeah, internal yeah. police security. I mean, so. if you need an ID
2: badge for these guys, tattoos aren't a bad one. Right. Yeah. So. Right. A little well, it's not, not a tattoo.
1: It's scars. Those are. Oh, yeah. 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 Those are scars. So. Yeah. So, uh, and they're very prominent. And so I think we're going to see some more about that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Hober tells the drunk and the monk <laughs> he needs their ship to go where Harry is sending him, which should already be programmed into the ship. Constant warns Hober about Becky and then tells Hober she was planning to become intimate with him as her first. She believes they won't see each other again and then gives him a kiss goodbye. Hober fails to guess her name again and then flies off. Weenus? <laughs> yes. Weenus? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was so good. He's he's like, "Oh, Weenus." Like he he thinks he got it.
1: <laughs> they were having so much fun writing that scene, you can just tell. The comic timing between Isabella and Dimitri, the the two actors is just perfect. They they really have some fun chemistry going on. So, it makes these yeah. scenes all yeah. a little bit more spicy and sparky. So, Yeah.
2: And again, I think that the monk, sorry, mm-hmm. the drunk, not the monk, the right. drunk was going onto the ship so that he could not see whatever was about
1: to happen mm, between them. Because, sure, just as much as needing to get right. his stuff, right? He didn't yeah. say,
2: hey, let's go on the ship. Mm-hmm. He said, I'll go get our stuff. You relax. Right. I did also enjoy her her delivery of, we've been waiting
1: three years. <laughs> So <laughs> I was like, three years? Are you kidding me? <laughs> she totally got me. She totally yeah, got me. Yeah.
2: And then, so. but then, of course, Polly has to be the good guy. Oh, it's only been three hours, Polly. <laughs> Polly, you ruined my
1: joke. <laughs> That was a really inspired, and it was a fun play on the, for us, science fiction nerds of the whole thing of time dilation and, you know, being inside a TARDIS-like space and stuff like that. So, I mean, we've
2: been traveling many years. Three years would be nothing in this show.
1: So real, you know – you know, uh, a yeah. real uh, nod and a wink to, to all of us yeah. with that. So it was there, There's good.
2: not a lot of laugh out loud moments in this show. And this episode was packed with them.
1: Yes. I'm not a robe chaser. Uh, I'd rather be 10th on the list. Right. <laughs> you know, all right. of this stuff was just all these lines. Yeah. Good luck making peace with Empire. <laughs> you know, <laughs> have fun storming the castle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so silly.
2: Uh, the Becky yeah. line, that was really funny. Make sure mm-hmm. you don't overfeed her. Right. Yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> She knows I you know that I'm sweet on you. So yeah, like just this packed packed with good stuff. Yeah. So all right. Uh, closing monologue from Gail, with few exceptions, attraction is entirely irrelevant to human history. It only matters on the small scale of the human heart.
2: Disagree, so, Gail. Disagree.
1: You don't think attraction at scale, you think attraction matters at scale.
2: I think that. If attraction, I don't I guess attraction alone doesn't, but if you're attracted to somebody, you marry them, you have babies, and then you want to protect your whole family, then yes, that matters at scale because if you're powerful enough, you could make the world burn to save your babies. hmm
1: And is that predictable within the scope of the species, you know, of the long term? Whether it's predictable or not, it whole. still has an
2: effect, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: I don't okay. know. I don't know. What it, what happens when you have the empire babies, right. That are no yeah, longer what is, part of the Cleonic dynasty. Yeah.
1: What is? Will, what is? Will, uh,
2: would Cleon let Trantor burn to save his babies? What if probably Cleon
1: is is attracted to Queen Sereth, right? You know the right. Plenty of rulers have been uh, led us, you know, led down crazy paths chasing, chasing right. their hearts or chasing what's in their pants. So right.
2: They yeah. did a whole series on that. It was called Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it, David. <laughs>
1: uh, I think so. I've, I've watched maybe a couple of episodes of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Well, this was a good episode. I had fun. This was fun to watch. It was fun to talk about. And now it's over.
1: Any, any other questions besides where Hober is going? Uh, should we add something about the Prime Radiant being superpositioned?
2: The prime radiant being superpositioned. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess, I guess, what does that mean? What yeah. is there? Is there radiant phi? Is there some kind <laughs> of radiant network?
1: What does its superposition mean? I'm going to add uh, the scars um, on the face of uh, the guard. Okay. I like uh, it. As something because that, I, I guess
2: running question is what are Sarah's intentions? That's a big one. But I, I think well that's we know what major. Sarah's
1: intentions are, right? She wants to find out if Dawn was involved in the murder of her family. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I, I I think that's her outward intention. I, I don't know if she has any intention at all to have this union. I think she might. I okay. think that that's a possibility. Do but you, clearly only if he was not involved in the murder.
1: Like a banyan tree, is she dropping on to the um, uh, plant of Empire to see if she can grow onto it and take it over? Mm, Right. And it also
2: could be, are we looking at straight up revenge? Are we looking Mm -hmm. at a savvy political play where she ends up in a better position, but maybe she doesn't get pure revenge?
1: Right, right. I don't know. Okay.
2: Time for the outro, I guess. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm sorry. We have feedback. We do. What am I saying? We're going to blow past feedback. Well, before we do feedback, let's take a quick break. And we're back. Let's get into some feedback. First up, we have Marilyn Arpukila, our favorite Tolkien scholar. She wrote in about episode two. She says, I have too many comments to put in Discord, <laughs> so I'm resorting back to my favorite approach of emailing. Hope that's not too much of a kerfluffle for you.
1: Not at all. Uh, and just to everyone, a reminder, empire at the is the best way to send us feedback. And if that doesn't work, if you don't want to get hassle with email, head over to our website, voicemail or contact form.
2: Regarding the changing images in the opening montage, I noticed them too, and I think that the partial skull face is representing Demerzel and that horrible moment from season one where she was so distraught at having to kill brother Don that she tore off parts of her own face. That was the only truly disturbing scene I have seen so far. Yes, this is before, that- of course, she saw... Titan's prick.
1: Titan's prick. <laughs> <laughs> I think Debra tearing her face off is, yes, is pretty, yes. it's a, that's a, I'm, scene.
2: I'm curious if Marilyn will write in about the grotesqueness of that scene. Though.
1: <laughs> well, it's very, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, certainly humanity has invented plenty of stuff like that. In our oh, sure. Test, so yeah, it's real seeing it on screen. Yeah. 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 So uh,
2: she continues. I find it interesting that Harry was imprisoned with consciousness intact in the thumb drive, just as Azura was conscious and imprisoned in the century deprivation tank. I'm not sure which would be worse. How about you? Personally, I'm reminded of today's early versions of Chat GPT, not to mention Mrs. Davis. When we start talking about putting personality into a thumb drive, holy AI Batman!
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, um, now you've what's seen worse. I would say Azura, I would say okay, very yeah. much Azura. <laughs> you know yeah, that- that's. That all your family's dead, right? And. Well, yeah, Harry, I was going to say, as a,
1: as a reminder, Azura is the young woman who is the gardener who fooled Dawn and got him out of the city, and then uh, Day uh, imprisoned her to live a lifetime in a sensory deprivation.
2: Right, right, right after he killed everyone who ever knew her.
1: Right, and everyone who ever knew. People who knew her, <laughs> right? What was like, it, like, completely wiped people. out the network. Anyone yeah. who
2: would know any trace of her, and you did that yeah. little
1: finger twist thing. Yeah.
2: yeah, the finger twist. Oh my God! There's a, there's some great gifs of that. On, yeah. Uh, oh on really? Twitter yeah. Because yeah, you know when I when I do
1: tweets, oh, I, try you to, I try to do a little. It's X now, John. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: Did you see my little meme with the Lord? of the Yes, Dragons? I did.
1: I thought it was very funny. I, I had. You can fun find with us on X at the Lorehounds. Uh, if if you still do the old Twitter thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna still call it Twitter. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, so she had a terrible time because I think Harry can at least manipulate his environment within the Prime Radiant.
1: I think it'd be better to be in the vault than the Prime Radiant or in the knife in the USB okay. stick. I think the you know the vault seemed to be a little bit more cushy, even if does if time does slip while he's in there.
2: Okay, fair enough. Uh, She continues, one of the reasons why I think the actor is playing Salver Harden with such a flat affect is that Salver is the warden, and so she felt she needed to maintain an unflappable public face. I found her expressive enough when she was on her own. I really hate it when books or shows decide to show love as a fault or a weakness rather than showing it requiring the strength that it demands. I see this not just in how the Jedi are represented, but also riddled throughout Game of Thrones, as well as other lesser known properties. Uh, I agree with that point, Marilyn. I think that it it is a tougher question of what do you do when you do love rather than avoid love? And I I do think Star Wars has come around to that. Star Wars has started to wrestle with that more Mm -hmm. with people like Ahsoka, with people like Luke Skywalker even with people like right. Ezra and Kanan and all the whole rebels crew. So I think we're we're finally moving past that in there. salver so Harden, I I see what you're saying with the warden thing. I think even when she's with gail and sort of on her own, I'm I'm just not loving what she's doing with this. But that might just be a preference.
1: She's better this season, I think, and I yeah. and we talked about it in a previous that she's a Brit playing um uh, uh with an American accent Just let her be a accent. Brit.
2: Yeah. I do not understand why she needed to be American in this. Yeah, no, I don't know either. So. I don't know. Uh, she continues. I really like the book Sapiens, and Yuval Noah Harari is a favorite author of my partner. Yeah, uh, I recommended that book in a previous podcast. It's really great. It talks about sort of the foundation of civilization and, and how humans develop. Uh, she says also in the books, the second foundation is intended to do course corrections for everyone, not just for the first foundation. Of course, they've changed so many things in the show, and this is just one more uh, to up the stakes, it seems. The TV mule is very different from the books, and this is the first time that I've actually cared about a discrepancy. I really hope that was an alternative vision, not what will actually be happening, but I'm rather afraid that they will have done away with the plotline involving a a favorite couple of mine, which includes one of the two only female characters viewpoint characters in the first three books of the series, as well as a lot of time spent with the mule. Marilyn continues with some details on the mule, but they seem to be a little bit spoilery about the book, so we're going to save that for if they become relevant later in the season or in the show generally. Uh, She also confirms, David, that the Hindu deity that you were thinking of was Vishnu.
1: Right, from the last episode. And then when I was doing my Bhagavad Gita uh, research this episode, uh, I remembered that it is Vishnu, or, you know, the research pointing me in the right direction.
2: Right. She continues with some more spoilers from the book series, but we'll leave that for now. She's on to episode three. Thanks for writing in, Marilyn.
1: As always. Um, yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> I've heard from you know, hearing other people talk about it. Foundation, pardon the... the use a phrase is foundational for uh, a lot of readers and people who are into foundation. I don't think there are as many as they are, as there are Tolkien fans. I think the population is a much smaller
2: yeah, definitely, um
1: set of people, but for those people that are into foundation, it's as important for them as Tolkien is for Tolkien, Tolkien readers. So um, we do want to be careful and not spoil anything in the book, because if you do go, it's a little dry pie, but that's like a circumstantial thing about when he was writing. And I think when you get into the larger world and you really pick up what he was writing about, it's very, it's very impactful stuff. And it's big ideas, right? It's, yeah. it's a lot of big ideas.
2: Yeah. All right. I get that. Ah, uh, next up is duve seventy one. Hey, Duve. regular writer and regular contributor on the Discord, Twitter fiend, X fiend, I guess. <laughs> X fiend, X. And uh, yeah, we we love Doove. So uh, Doove writes in, says a solid seven point five for episode three, but still a ten out of ten for the pod. Hey, thanks, Duve.
1: Oh, shucks. what a
2: lovely, what a lovely sentiment. Like you, I was a bit meh on the unnecessary action bits but also it's tentpole sci-fi for Apple. So if it brings in more punters for foundation, then it's cool.
1: Yes. Uh, Agreed. I think this episode, this season is going to have a lot more for the punters as, uh, as you say, that it's going to a little bit more, a few more explosions, a few more fight scenes. Um, It will definitely, and you can see that in the trailer for the couple of trailers that they did for the season. There was very action packed. So I think right. Goyer's trying to balance the action from the big ideas so that you get both. And if you come for the action, you're not gonna get bored by the by the big ideas. But right. for us big idea folks, we can love it just as much.
2: Right. Duve says, I jumped back on the Discord as the Lee Pace love seemed to has have subsided. What you got up against Lee Pace? Let's let's <laughs> let's talk about this, Duve. Write me. Write me. And he says the missus was. Disappointed with the lack of shirtless brother day in there. I commented that uh, I commented on the Wassalian rift and how I have been (laughs) fortunate to have a friend who made cider. So I have been to a number of wassailings. Not sure if that's spelled right. (laughs) Some I can't remember due to too much imbibing of scrumpy, which is the name for cider in the West country of England. Was just cool to see it on the show. David, are you, what is a wassailing? I still don't know.
1: I think exactly. that's where you crush, or you squeeze the apples and you, uh, you know, you make the cider, you actually do the, the, the cider making. You take the, the raw stuff. So. Okay. Or is it when you're uh, unbottling it? I don't know. Anyway. It could so, be anything. But we'll never know. I, I the like English the fact that. Enigma. I, I like the fact that the, the whole uh, wassailing rift is, uh, you know, Uh, I I really do wonder if somebody on the writing staff, you know, threw that in for fun.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He continues on historical themes. It's great that Marilyn has jumped into the foundation fray. Totally agree. She always classes the joint up. I was interested (laughs) with her takes on foundation, uh, foundations, empire, and the Romans. The introduction of Bell Rios is giving me thoughts on Julius Caesar versus Pompeii. Will we see a crossing of the Rubicon moment for our newly introduced general? They are definitely setting up an empire beset on all sides, attacks from within and without. Who will be the barbarians at the gate? Gale, Foundation One, the Mule, or the Return of the Robots. On Bell, when he was being given the task from Brother Day... I thought it was a recon or intel gathering exercise. But in the hero shot of the destiny jumping, we saw the entirety of the 20th fleet, which implies it won't be a stealthy re- reconnaissance, uh, more of what we term in the military as a reconnaissance in force. Could there be a clash between the 20th and the militarized society of this EP, or even an alliance? Well, do if you wrote this after episode three? Right now we're on episode four. And sadly, you've not had the benefit of knowing what actually happened in episode four. But it was it was not a big fight. I think we're still on the recon for now.
1: Yeah, I think. uh, Yeah, I think like firefighters, they show up with every piece of apparatus they can at a fire because you don't even know how big or how much you're going to need. So I think they're probably sending the 20th out there. So, that as their forward deployed forces can do some recon, they've got all the muscle that they need if, um, you know, if Day were to give the order to wipe them out, which is interesting because at the same time we have the 20th rolling in, we've got the drunk and the monk heading back towards uh, uh, Termin or Trantor Mm -hmm. to try to convince them to not attack. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, Foundation doesn't know Empire's coming at them, but they certainly have, you know, they, they feel ready for a fight. Um, you know, the director in his nice suit think that they've got what it takes to take on the empire. So yeah, here we have two forces marshalling together.
2: Hmm. Uh, Doof says on an aside, if you want a Roman soldier's perspective on a crumbling empire, you can't do wrong by checking out the Vindalanda series of books by Adrian Goldsworthy. It's set in Northern Britannia towards the decline of the Roman Empire. Lots of various factions and powers encroaching on imperial territory and how it erodes the Pax Romana, plus how disconnected Rome became from its colonial outposts and the effect that had on peoples who had known nothing else but imperial rule. With Marilyn on board, she is bound to hit us all up with more (laughs) scholarly takes on how Asimov drew on history of ancient empires for the story. But obviously, the writers of the show have recent history with the decline of the British Empire to utilize as well, which was more of a whimper than a bang.
1: <laughs> <laughs> True. John, did you ever watch the HBO series Rome? No,
2: no, no. I did not. So
1: it was in the early days of – it was sort of in the pre-Golden era, pre-Breaking you know, pre Bad and, right. and Mad Men. And it's definitely a predecessor in terms of quality – but it's a really interesting uh, look into Roman society and Caesar and Gaius, uh, Gaius Julius Caesar. And um, what's the uh, name of the other guy that he mentioned uh, in the previous um, – oh, I'm blanking now. Anyway, the other general who was a friend of – a uh, Pompey. That's who it was. Um, okay. And it's got some known actors that you see. One of the guys just recently passed away who was quite a quite a – Interesting character actor, and uh, yeah, I don't know if you ever get around to it. It's a, it's something kind of fun to watch. It's okay. It's vulgar in some ways, and um, it's interesting in terms of television. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good look at, at uh, hypothetically what Rome was like.
2: Well, I currently have far too much watching on my plate, but when I don't, yes. <laughs> at some point, <laughs> hypothetically in the future,
1: someday I will,
2: I will check it out. Uh, one more episode three feedback. I'm really thinking that we are being set up for a reemergence of the robots as a force. AI and autonomous machines are being introduced a lot this season. Who was that st- the statue of on Una's world? And is Harry meat or machine? I didn't even get into some foreshadowing from David on the blue green planet that may be a third rock from its sun, or why the vault wants Hobart Mallow.
1: So yeah, the, um, the Una's world statue, I think that's a really good pick. That's something we should pay attention because they did kind of close up on it and, and show us that, that person's face really quick. And, um, yeah, so you were positing that, you know, is Harry a robot or, and, and I think DJ Miwa was talking about this on the, on the discord as well, is Harry a clone? That's obvious, right? That he mm-hmm. could just be a, a clone. But then how did yeah. he glow How did they grow a clone so quick? Or was his body already there and they just needed to transfer the consciousness in? I don't know. So I th- I think clone maybe clone or robot, I think, are both really potentially very active theories, right? Those I like the cool. robot
2: better only because I think it fits the plot better.
1: I think it'd be cooler. I think yeah. it'd be more rule of, cool. you know, you,
2: you've got this you know this slow background building of a robot rebellion mhm i don't know i like okay. it. but but i could see the clones too you yeah. know that you have you have a clone harry against the clone empire and
1: right and yeah. yeah well yeah and as empire as foundation becomes more like empire and we talked about that in uh, a previous uh, in the previous episode where we had the bust of Hober Mallow, which is very reminiscent of the busts of all the Cleons. Right. Uh back in Terminus. Something else, another missable detail back on Terminus uh ter- terminus on the big conference room table. If you look in the center of it as decoration, there's all these little half orb things. I think those are all the planets that foundation has brought to within its um okay. under its control. By that. Yeah. So uh, take a look at that if you rewatch the episode or, um, or you know, in another one where we see the conference room.
2: Cool. One more feedback from a Rocky Zim on Discord. Hey, Rocky. Uh, I'm enjoying the series. I know that Goyer is doing his best to incorporate themes and ideas from the books. We don't know when the foundation got to Terminus. The people who arrived and Terminus didn't know about it until they found it. He has uh, been making this plan for a long time. Harry is a smart guy and was living on Trantor. I am thinking he had ways to gain info from Empire and improve some things. I am treating it like Interstellar where they are trying to make this as accurate as they can. Explain different ideas and things going on. Yeah, uh, so I've seen people debating how the vault got to Terminus first. Uh-huh. And something that somebody like somebody said that I liked a lot because I think it explains it well is well you can move something faster if it doesn't have living beings on it, right? You don't that, have to worry about killing that them. That was me. said that. Oh, that was you?
1: Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Good job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I was uh, DJ Miwa was and I were kicking some stuff around. He was saying some things and uh, about this question about the vault, and it just occurred to me. Well, you know, like in the Expanse, when they shoot a missile, the reason a missile can catch up with a ship is that there's no organics right, inside right. of it. So yeah, can, I like that.
2: I like that theory. they can go
1: way faster. So that's 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 what seemed logical to me at the time.
2: Yeah, we know it does have Harry's body on it. Right. So it's got to be it had to have been launched after he died. Uh huh. So, yeah, I guess I guess it has to be what you said. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense.
1: Right. It had to get ahead because it's not a jump unless it had jump ship technology, which I don't think it did. So.
2: Right. All right, David, why don't we do our programming notes quickly and then we'll move into our Patreon shout outs.
1: Sounds good. We've got uh, a lot going on. We're into August, John. How is it August already? What what happened?
2: I don't know. I don't know. Okay. You're going to be I'm gone lost. half the month, so yes. I'm all alone.
1: There's no all one alone. here beside You've got some, me.
2: I know. Oh, I'm, nice I've, I've already planned an extra podcast while you're gone. For,
1: yeah, uh, I saw you on our our yeah. production server. It's banging scheduled away. now. what's happening, so I can talk about it. <laughs> so, uh, oh, which one? Yeah, yeah. Good, good omens.
2: We're uh, nice. Uh, John and Alicia and I.
1: Are uh, going to oh, get cool.
2: together and we're going to talk Good Omens
1: season two. That's going to be a fun crowd to talk. Yeah, about.
2: it was really good. Honestly, I really like the season. OK, uh, David Tennant is uh, what a He's treasure. Great. Yeah. And Michael Sheen. So funny together. Just absolutely perfect. If you've not been on the channel, we have a channel under the one shots on our discord. So you can already chat about the series. Then make sure you send in feedback. You can send it, you know, contact form discord or uh, Lorehounds, Lorehounds. lorehounds.com. Yep. yep. The generic address.
1: So, yeah, and that's the thing. We have a, this um, format now called uh, One Shots where we can do this. And we've covered the bear. You guys covered uh, Mrs. Davis. Uh, Anthony and I did uh, Asteroid City. And we've got yeah. some more things uh, cooking a- along that those lines. So It's
2: nice because I just put out a message. We have a little all-call channel in our production server where you can say, yeah, I'm interested in covering this. Anybody else? And we, we've got a little family now where you can, yeah. you can get a few members going on.
1: It's fun. It's fun that way. So uh, I guess coming up in August, too, we've got Ahsoka. We're going to do two episodes of an Ahsoka retrospective, right? We're going to do uh, one podcast covering the Clone Wars episodes yes. that Ahsoka, yep. some some key episodes that Ahsoka's in. And then we're going to do another one that's going to cover Rebels-specific episodes. Right.
2: You know, I got to say, I was watching the end of the Clone Wars episodes today. Bangers. Banger yeah. after Banger. That nice. you, you should, before you watch this, watch the last four episodes, at least, of the Clone Wars. It is basically just a Star Wars movie that's animated.
1: Very cool. And it's okay. really good. It's All really, right. really good. It's good to know. Yeah, you know, that's it's so, and we've talked about this, you know, the beginnings of both of those, of Rebels and the Clone Wars, it, <laughs> it was touching. and rough. Go. It's rough. It's rough, but, you know, then you hear people say, oh, it's the best stuff ever, and, you know, there yeah. you go. It finds so. its footing. Both of
2: them find their footing really well.
1: That's good. So we've got Foundation running. We've got an Ahsoka prep. And then at the end of the month, we're going to start doing Ahsoka full-time coverage. And then right after that, we're going to have Wheel of Time. We're going to do another MCU episode later in the month. We're going to kind of recap Secret Invasion and what a dumpster fire that was. Um, (laughs) And it's all all the made worse – by the news that what happened with uh, showrunners yes. yeah. and writers and all that kind of stuff. So it makes a lot of sense, too, because we were detecting in the show that there's just really great stuff and then there's just really weird stuff. So anyway, Very we're going to cover strange. some news and updates. And uh, so we'll have a, a, a episode about that in the middle of the month. And then we've got still a second breakfast coming up for our, our Patreon exclusives. I think for another Patreon Patreon exclusive, we got a Shire side Shire chat. Yeah,
2: Shire side chats. Yeah, we'll be <laughs> we'll be chatting about at least letter two for one episode. Maybe we'll do one on letter three as well. We'll we'll see how we go for the month.
1: Sounds good, and then you and uh, Brandon are playing, are going to be talking about Skyrim. You've probably yes. played Skyrim a lot already.
2: I've played Skyrim for hundreds of hours <laughs> <laughs> since I, because it came out when I was in my senior year of high school. Right, when I had a lot of time to play video games, and in college I played it a bunch, and and so I've I've been living with Skyrim for years. If you are a Skyrim stand, which you probably are, if you play video games at all. Um, Write in, please share your Skyrim stories. Oh, yeah. It could just be an anecdote. I don't care. Uh, or just, you know, say something you like about the game. Say something cool about the game. I it's it really is a game that changed how I played video games. So I, okay. I hope that people will write in and I hope people share that sort of experience with us.
1: Yeah. So I think if people want to send you uh, specifically about Lorehounds play stuff, they can do LHP at the Lorehounds Yeah.
2: Or so. you know what, if things are confusing, just go to the website. Just go to the, you can website. Do the contact page. Yep. Exactly.
1: Okay. Uh properly Howard movie reviews. Mr. Anthony and his Is, buddy. They've changed the
2: name. It's movie reviews now.
1: It's always been movie reviews. We just
2: fucking it? it up. No, it hasn't. Have I been living a lie? Yes. A lie?
1: Wow. Right there, no right idea. there on the on the thing. I had
2: no idea. It's even in the art. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) uh, apologies, Maester Anthony.
1: Are we keeping Uh, this in? (laughs) We're keeping this in. (laughs) All right. All right. This is it, folks. The raw sausage making of podcasting. (laughs) This is how we really talk between takes. Yeah. Yeah. Properly Howard uh, movie review. Uh, So Steve and Anthony have a good time talking about films And their season – so they work in seasons. And this season, it's all – all the films are remakes. And it's going to start in uh, earnest in August 14th with White Men Can't Jump. Then Dune Part 1. And that was fun because you, me, and Alicia, John – John, Alicia, and I joined Anthony and Steve on that podcast. That was really cool. And then at the end of August, they're going to do RoboCop. They've got about – Looks like have about six more films after that, so we'll keep you updated on the upcoming films. But if you haven't subscribed to their channel already, just search for Properly Howard Movie Reviews. Go to our website. They'll be all posted there. Um, and get those in your feeds. And, you know, show them some love. Give them a, a rating and review if you get a chance. They're, it's really funny stuff.
2: They're it very is. good. It so. is. We love it.
1: All right. And lastly, we're going to talk about Alicia and Wool Shift Dust. Uh, she's keeping the name for her. Uh, it's going to be like her general show name. Wool shift dust. So stay subscribed to that. She is going to shift gears into a dune book club kind of thing. That's not a book club. Even it's just dune in general, video games, movies, documentaries. Um, and it's, it's all a sand in, club. It's a sand club. I like that. <laughs> um, and that is all sort of in prep, hoping fingers crossed that they don't kick, June Part Two into next year. Mm. There were some. I did see. That they might do that. I did
2: see. I heard you guys talking about that on Secret Invasion, which, by the way, was an excellent podcast. No, thank you. Very but much. Uh, I heard y'all talking about that, and I think that since then the studios have gotten together and had a little meeting last Friday that was like, "All right, we got to figure something out because we're losing a lot of money." So yeah, yeah. I think that I think the dual strike has really started to hurt them. So that's good because we there want were, this to re, to resolve.
1: Yes, In absolutely. There the was some. And the, there, and the actors. There was some news today that, the, uh, that they may actually be coming. Uh, AMPTA sent a message to SAG-AFTRA uh, WGA saying, hey, you guys want to talk again? <laughs> hey, open to it. <laughs> That's so, good. Yeah. That's hopefully. good. Hopefully. Because so it anyway. It really needs to happen. Because we need does. something
2: to cover next year.
1: So stay subscribed to uh, Alicia. She's got a whole thing uh, lined up for all sort of Dune stuff. Just talking about books. You don't have to have read the books necessarily. It's just going to talk about Dune culture and how it's uh, uh, set the stage for a lot of other sci-fi stuff. So it's going to be very cool. We're going to
2: get real dusty.
1: Very, very. We're going to get real high on spice too. Um, oh, that's what it
2: is. It's spice It's not. Dust. <laughs>
1: it's a spice club. Oh boy. Um, and Where's then the she spice has hers. No, <laughs> too hot on Arrakis to dance. Okay. Okay. Um, and then she has her Patreon book club. They are reading all three of the silo books, Wool, Shift, and Dust. And that's a pay per episode kind of thing. So, you you know, if you don't want the content, you don't have to pay for it. But, you know, go check that out as well. So that is patreon.com Wool Shift Dust. And we'll have links in the show notes for those. All right, I think that's it for our programming schedule for now. We got a going on. It's going it's to, get to be. It's going to be very busy this
2: year. There's more in the works too, which is. Oh yes. it's, it's redacted for now.
1: <laughs> we don't want to, yeah, because otherwise, how you can't retain all the information that we got it's coming true. out. You just got to put it in your ears when it comes out. It's true. John, our patrons. We got them. We, we got, got a lot of them. them. We, yes, we we're do. over 90
2: now so that's nice what
1: happened
2: <laughs> what happened we, is people wanted the freaking sticker
1: they wanted the sticker which is sitting on the shelf right behind me it's about to i gotta finish production um get everything together and get those out of the mail here real soon
2: we're, they needed that sticker and am i'm, I'm yeah. glad i'm glad people are getting that sticker because it's a great sticker hope you all enjoy it and thanks david for handling logistics on that
1: it's been a lot of fun putting it together it's a creative outlet nice. i feel fulfilled
2: we put a letter together last week that I think yes. people will enjoy. So chuckle yeah. out of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. We Every episode, though, we like to shout out our Patreon lore masters, which again, a growing list. I think we're up to 27 now.
1: Yes. 28? So, yeah, 27.
2: Uh, 27. 27. Right. And here they are. Some Martian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC., Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71 Brian8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., DJ Miwa, Andra B., Kwang Yu, Laura G., and Dead Eye Jedi Bob. Thank you all for being our loyal supporters and our lovely yes. supporters who help us keep the podcast churning out. Uh, help us record in between vacations, right? Right,
1: <laughs> That's right.
2: Uh, give us the motivation to keep on going when we're doing three shows at a time. I, I don't think we'd be able to justify three shows at a time if it weren't for you all. So thank you yeah. all so much.
1: Yep. Uh, and to all our patrons, thank you very much. And uh, to everyone who is subscribed at the end of July, uh, yes, keep your eyes out in the mail. I will start be sending those, starting to send those out this week um and those of you who missed it apologies <laughs> we we tried to do our best to advertise it we do have in we've been talking about it how can we do a little bit of merch just a little bit of fun stuff just a little brand identification loyalty fun things um so i think as we get clear from our birthday month, and we move into the next things, we'll we'll talk about some maybe some t-shirts and some coffee mugs, some real you know just simple stuff, just for fun, yeah, um, yeah. just the way you know for for folks to you know feel that they're connected a little bit yeah. more. So,
2: I want a I want a coffee mug that says Second Breakfast Hot Takes on your hotcakes.
1: I love it. I love That's it. I, I think want. I think Hot Takes on your hotcakes was a preferred uh, phrase uh, they were talking at one point we were talking on the discord private channel about that with our, with uh there is a if you're a patreon subscriber you have a special section on the discord uh, that you can talk to and i think somebody said that they liked that one so
2: it's exclusive you it's you got to be part of the roy family kind of right if you're doing foundation yes. uh anyway I had a great time talking about this episode with you, David, and I think we're going to be back in a few days talking about Foundation Episode Five. So, yes. you and I are going to be moving through this season a little quicker now, just because of scheduling and because we have so many shows coming up. But uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's coming next.
1: Yes, uh, yes, I think it's going to get wild because I think we're at the part where we've sort of done all the setup, and I think now it's time to you know crack yeah. open the world a little bit, you know, a little bit wider.
2: So I'm ready. I'm ready. Cool. All right. Bring it on. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by the Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.